0: Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features Senior Pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric.
1: There's no telling what you'll miss. Sometimes when I hike, and boy, now's a great time of year to go hiking, um, I almost don't want to turn around because I have no idea what I'm going to miss. I I hate turning around and and going back, I think, just a little bit more. There might be a better spot to see or just, just something lies ahead, right? In this life, continue onward. Don't stop now because there's no telling what lies in front of you. When you're tired, when you don't totally understand, when life doesn't seem fair, continue onward. Amen? How in the world will you learn to continue onward if you're never tempted to stop? Right? We have to be tempted to stop, or we have to be tempted to, to give up and to turn around, and it's in those moments when we're tempted to do that that we really learn what it means to continue onward. This morning we begin a a simple three-week sermon going through the book of 2 Thessalonians. It's a short letter. It's very short, just a a page and a half in the Bible that I hold. And it actually has three sections. And this time the, the chapter divisions actually get it right. Three sections or three chapters, if you will. And the beautiful thing about this book is that each section or each chapter ends with a beautiful prayer. It ends with a prayer. Number one, a prayer for power. In chapter number two, a prayer for comfort and strength. And in the last chapter, a prayer for peace. Now these three chapters have been given many different but similar titles by preachers and commentators. You could call them comfort, cautions and commands, or encouragement, enlightenment and enablement, thank you, Wiersbe, or pastoral, prophetic, and practical, or even, thank you, uh, J. Vernon McGee, the persecution, the program, and the practicality. Now, you probably just see how preachers like to alliterate, but it helps us to see that really these three chapters can be given three unique headings. And we're going to look at chapter 1 this morning, chapter 2 next week, and then you guessed it, the following. So first, let's open with this, the purpose of the letter. All of the epistles have a purpose, right? When you sit down to write, you have something in mind. You have an idea in mind. And the Apostle Paul, whose life had been radically changed by the grace of Jesus, he had a a thought in mind as he wrote his second letter to the people in Thessalonica. This letter is written very shortly after 1 Thessalonians. Paul writes around the year 51. So it's one of his early letters, early on in his ministry. Probably just a few months after 1 Thessalonians, he hears some things and he knows that he needs to write a second letter, 2 Thessalonians. It is written basically to give two points. In my words, clarity and motivation. It's written for clarity and it's written for motivation. Number one, it was written for clarity. Why? Because there was some confusion and some misunderstanding taking place, not to mention even a misrepresentation by some people that claimed to write in Paul's name or claimed to be Paul, right? This letter is from Paul. No, it's not. There was a misrepresentation. But there was a misunderstanding about some of the things in the first letter. Has the day of the Lord already come? Did we miss something about Christ's coming? Are we in the great tribulation now? And the people are confused. And Paul says, all right, time out. We need to write another letter. i got to give you clarity on these issues. That wasn't me. And you're, you're misunderstanding some of the doctrines about the day of the Lord, His judgment and tribulation and the return of Christ. So, the second reason that Paul writes is for motivation always kind of that way. A lot of his letters are doctrinal and then practical, right? He's got, to, he's got to address some type of thinking, and then he wants to get practical and say, but you also have to live the Christian life. And Second Thessalonians was written for motivation. Why? Because the Christian must continue onward. Th- that's my title. I-, I gave the book kind of fresh to, th- to this series, and I've never really thought of it that way, but the more I'm reading this book, I kind of see him saying, hey, continue onward. Christ hadn't come, you hadn't missed anything. Continue onward. This is not the judgment day. You're not in the tribulation. Continue onward. Hey, stop laying around and being lazy. Con- continue onward in the Christian life. And that's gonna that's gonna help us, right? He writes for motivation because we have to continue onward. Chapter 1, verse 4. He says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God and your steadfastness. Some translations your patience, some translations your endurance. Do you see what he's saying? We boast about your steadfastness, endurance, patience, perseverance, and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. He's saying, continue onward. You're doing that? Praise God. He writes for motivation to continue onward when in chapter 3 verse 13 he says this, As for you brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. Right? What do you mean when you tell your pastor, hey pastor, don't grow weary in doing good. You're motivating Him and you're saying, hey, continue onward. Don't grow weary in well-doing. He writes for motivation. He's saying, keep following Christ. Stay the course. Stay the course. Continue onward. You know what Christians need to hear in the year 2023? Continue onward. Stay the course. Keep following Jesus, right? This is what we are to do. And so this is what the book is mainly about. He brings up a great topic about the man of lawlessness and he talks about the day of the Lord. But underlying it all is he's given them some clarity, he's given them some motivation. And We're going to see in chapter 1 today three main points that help Christians then and now continue onward. They can help the Thessalonians continue onward. That can help you and I continue onward. First, we will see Paul's praise. Paul's praise. Let's begin the book, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, person A, writing to person B, to the church, the called out assembly of God, the people of God, of the Thessalonians. That was a church plant, by the way, in Acts chapter 17 that was planted in about three to four weeks. They were a young church, they had some problems, they faced persecution. So they went next door from the synagogue into Jason's house, if you remember. They had been through some difficulty already, this group at Thessalonica. Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace, shalom, from God our Father, again, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always, one translation is we're bound to give thanks to God For you, brothers and sisters, as is right, this is appropriate, this is fitting, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. How would you like to be a part of that church? That's great. Therefore, therefore, we ourselves boast about you and the other churches of God for your steadfastness, your perseverance and faith, or that can be translated faithfulness in all your persecutions, your sufferings, your hardships, and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. We'll stop there. I want you to notice first Paul's praise, right? He begins this letter, as he does many letters, praising the people of God. And what does he praise them for? Three things. Their faith, their love, and then also their steadfastness. Or maybe it says patience in your translations or perseverance or endurance. He says, I'm I'm thankful for you. Your faith is growing. Your faithfulness is increasing. And also your love for other people is increasing. And he says, and this faith and this love Produces something; it has produced in you perseverance. Perseverance. Paul expresses thanks. He says, "We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers." He says, "We we we are bound to give thanks, right?" And I should too. I should give thanks to you, uh, the people of Adairsville Baptist Church. Thank you for showing me appreciation in the last several weeks. But I do thank God for you. I, I thank God. For our people, that our people are supportive and encouraging, I thank you for that. I ought to give thanks to God for the way you support the church, the way you support your pastor, and the way you encourage your pastor. We we don't have many problems. I don't have conflicts and nasty emails and letters, and there aren't a lot of complaints. You are encouraging. You are supportive. Man, thank you for that. Uh, another thing that I ought to, to pray and thank the Lord for in your life is this, that you are humble and servant-minded. I think we have a group of, of humble people, of servant-minded people. You are willing to serve without the, the light and the recognition. And, and thank you. For that, I think in many ways our, our goals are similar. right? We want to encourage one another. We want to be supportive. We want to be humble servants. And, and you are that. And I ought to get on my knees and thank the Father above for, for people like you. So thank you. Thank you. That's what Paul is doing. He's saying thank you for this. In First Thessalonians, right away in chapter 1, the first letter, he says, I thank you for your faith and your love and your hope. And he tells us about that work of faith and that labor of love and that steadfastness of hope. Well, now he comes back to two and he says, thank you for your faith or your faithfulness. And thank you for the love. And the the love is is not just for like God. He says it's a love for each other. That's why I said, wouldn't you want to be a part of that church where he says your love for each other is increasing. I mean, that's what every church wants, right? There's no bickering and fighting. It's like everybody's loving each other more and more and more. And then he says, the therefore. Therefore, there's something that's produced out of that faith and love. Therefore, we boast about something about your steadfastness, your faithfulness, and all of these difficulties of life, the persecutions, the hardships, the afflictions that you are enduring, right? Perseverance, our perseverance, is tested by suffering, isn't it? Our perseverance is tested by hardship. Perseverance grows through resistance, just like a muscle does, right? That's that's the way our perseverance grows. That's the way our perseverance is tested. And he says, I can see this in your your lives and in your congregation that you are growing in perseverance. If you want your perseverance to grow, try growing in faith and love for people. And I think that's going to help us continue onward. Why? Because our faith is in God, and if I'm loving people... I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to continue onward for their sake and and for God's sake. John Chrysostom uh, of the late 300s, that's writing a very, very long time ago, said, how can faith increase? It does so when we suffer something for the sake of faith. How does our faith increase? It does so when we suffer something. For the sake of that faith. So here in these few verses we see their fortitude of faith. The fortitude of faith. And he says in verse 5 that their suffering and their response to that suffering shows the genuineness of their faith, right? Just like Peter would say, your faith, it's, it's being refined. And the fire is testing you. The fire is refining you, right? That draws to consume Right, that goal to refine. But, but how is their faith refined? How does their faith develop fortitude? Right, They have to go through suffering and they have to go through hardships. But he says, this is evidence, verse 5, of the righteous judgment of God. That God is good and right and His calling of you is perfect and His judgment is good that you may be considered worthy. This shows that you are being considered worthy for the kingdom of God for which you are also Suffering. What about you today? What about myself? Do, do you have fatigued faith and love for others? Or do you have flourishing faith and love for others? Is it fatigued or is it, is it flourishing? How do we increase the perseverance? How do we continue onward? Increase our faithfulness, increase our love for others, for people. So you see how Paul begins with praise, Paul's praise, right? Secondly, we see Paul's promise. He really begins to teach and say this is the promise of God to you. And we see it in verses 5 through 10. This is evidence, he says, this is proof of the righteous judgment of God. You may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're also suffering since indeed God considers it just, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When? When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Paul lays out some really blunt teaching, right? This is the promise of God's Word. And he basically says two points if you're taking notes, the two R's. He says there will be, number one, relief and reward for who? For the believers, verse 7 and 10. And that there will be, secondly, repayment, or the word in the Bible is retribution for unbelievers. Let's take those each first. He says there will be relief and a reward for believers. right? When you're going through hardship and suffering, you need to know that things are going to get better that there really will be a reward at the end of all this craziness, that, that it really will be worth it, that there will be a reward, that there will be a relief, that there will be, this R, rest. Rest. He says in verse 7, God will grant relief. Some translations, rest. He'll give you relief to you who are being afflicted. And he says, as well as to us. He says in verse 10, when Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in His saints, we glory at Him, He glories in us, He's marveled at by the saints and angels alike, among all who have believed, to the believer, because our testimony to you was believed. He says there will be relief, reward, rest, for who? Not for everybody. He's just being honest, and we have to be honest too, right? But for believers, those that know and obey the gospel. That word for relief, it's a a relaxation, right? One day there'll be this relaxation. That word for relief originally meant this, I thought of Caleb Griner, the release of tension on a bowstring, right? It's like this old world's pulling back. One day there'll be relief. The tension on the bow will relax. There'll be rest, right? That, That things will... It'll be worth it. There'll be a reward. Why? Because he says this, because God is on your side. He's telling them, I'm motivating you. God is on your side. Don't give up. Continue onward. There'll be relief one day. There'll be a reward one day. Continue onward. You'll relax and there'll be rest. And when that time comes, God is on your side. But what about the, the, the fact that's the, kind of the counter to this is, is this, that there's, there's something not for us, but there's something for the other you, the unbelievers. There's repayment. There's retribution for unbelievers. Look, he says that they were suffering. And in verse 6, they needed to hear this. Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. There is a repayment. There is retribution. Retribution is a divine payback. Retribution is this. It's full punishment for sin. And a holy God and a just God demands that. There must be payment for sin. And either you can try to pay for it or you can let Jesus pay for it. I can't pay. I need Jesus to pay. But the retribution will take place. I remember when I first went through this book, 2 Thessalonians, it was was way back probably in 2014, a Sunday night. And I remember starting with this, kind of some, some, some... cultural things that were going on in that day and I said this, what happens to ISIS? Because that's what what's going on. What happens to ISIS? One day they will experience retribution if they don't repent, right? We could say it today. What happens to Hamas? Or what happens to an uh, 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 Israelite, right, that doesn't repent and, and is wicked and, and doesn't re- receive Jesus as Messiah? What happens to those that are evil, to murderers and child molesters, right? We have to know that there will be retribution. God is just. He will afflict and repay, that's the R, He will repay with affliction those who are afflicting Christians, those who afflict you, those who are doing wrong. Look down at verses 8 and 9. There's also this aura of, of rejection. That's basically what it means. He says it's this inflaming fire that represents judgment, inflicting vengeance. It's just the honest truth. On those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus, they will experience retribution. You have to pay. It has to be paid. The credit card of sin, that debt has to be paid for. You can stand before God and say, God, I'd like to pay with my good deeds. And he'll say, no. You can stand before God and say, God, I'd like to pay in this way. And he'll say, no. The only one that can pay is Jesus. So by faith, I had to transfer my balance to him, his huge credit limit. He never charged with sin. right? So I had to say, Lord, take my sins. Transfer the balance to Christ. right?" And stand before God one day and say, Christ has paid it all. My balance was transferred by by His blood. And He says, yes, it was paid for, not by you, but by the Son. Come on, here's here's your relief. The the bill has been satisfied, it's relaxed. But if not, it has to be settled, retribution, rejection, when on that day of flaming fire and vengeance on those who don't know the gospel or obey the gospel, verse 9, they will suffer the punishment, here it is, of eternal destruction. Forever, everlasting destruction, not not annihilation. You read the other books of the Bible, it's not that. It's everlasting, it's eternal. And this is the most important thing. It's away from, he says, the presence of the Lord. Away from the glory of His might. You you see, God is just. And as I preached at the beginning of this year, our souls have an issue. We cry out for justice. We, we, We know that there has to be justice in this life and in this world. And through God, justice is satisfied. Justice is desired, but justice is satisfied. God will one day reward and punish in His time. Amen? Not in my time. I'd love it if God worked on my time. <laughs> it's in His time. D.A. Carson, professor and sometimes preacher and I love to hear him preach, calls this the patience and the payback of God. Why are things not fair right now? God is being patient. He's le- leading people to repentance. He's calling people to repentance, right? Why why we, we look and We want justice right now. And God's going, yes, justice will be satisfied. But right now I'm being patient. It's an age of grace. I'm calling men and women to, to repent. But there will be the payback of God. The, the account has to be settled. Retribution. God's wrath against sin is a topic that, number one, you should better preach it with grace and mercy. And that's what I try to do. Not every preacher in this old Appalachian belt likes to preach uh, retribution with grace and mercy. (laughs) Some of them get a little bit too happy about preaching retribution. I don't see how, but uh, I'm not that way. But um, God's wrath does something good for us. God's wrath against sin, it's biblical. Um, He has to be a, a God of wrath against sin because He has to also be a God that's just and He has to also be a God that's holy and He also has to be a God that's loving and merciful. He is all those things through the gospel. But God's wrath against sin gives us great help and motivation. It helps us forgive people and leave it to God. If you know that God is a God of wrath against sin, you don't have to be the person of wrath against that sin. You can learn to say, God, I forgive that person. Lord, I leave that to you because I'm not their judge, but you are. And you'll do whatever you choose to do, either if it's patience or if it's payback. The wrath of God against sin is a doctrine that helps us, number one, forgive. It helps us, uh, number two, leave things to God and trust God with the outcome. It does this. The the wrath of God against sin helps us appreciate grace and mercy. How in the world can you sing amazing grace if you think everybody just gets grace in the end? Right? No. No. The, the doctrine of God's wrath against sin says, Wow, I appreciate that mercy so much more. I, I appreciate that grace so much more. God's wrath against sin does this. The Puritans loved it, right? It motivates holy living. If God is a God of wrath against sin, then I actually need to say, You know what? I might not need to watch that. I might need to turn the channel. I might not need to say that or dress that way or go to that place. Or It, it promotes holiness. The doctrine of wrath against sin promotes evangelism. Why in the world do we call people to be saved? Because we believe that one day if they don't repent, there will be retribution. But you can experience today redemption. You can experience today reconciliation. You can experience grace. Amen? That's a good doctrine. And that's what we, we do. If we understood God's wrath against sin, we'd, we'd probably go tell more people of how they can avoid the wrath Now they can experience the mercy. Relief and repayment. He says, guys, don't worry. Continue on where God is just and fair. You'll get relief. They'll get repayment. This is what happens. But when does the relief and the repayment come? Now? No, no, no. Look at verse 7. I love the winds of verse 7 and 10. The winds of verse 7 and 10. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us when, when, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, His second coming. That's when we get relief and not until then. That's when they get retribution and not until then. When? When He comes. On that day, verse 10 says, to be glorified in His saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony, the Word of God, the gospel to you, you, you believe. That makes all the difference. When is the bill settled in this life? When Christ comes. At Christ's return. You, you Sometimes you want to say hey, the tab's still open, right? Hey, the tab ain't closed. The People are still charging, right? I mean, I, you thought about places where you have like this open tab, you know, and Like you can order the food and the drinks and you can play as many rounds of Top Golf and bowl as many games and the tab's just open. You just keep going until, right? But if they came, hey, hey, pay, pay now. Hey, wait a minute, I'm not done. I'm going to get another game and have another, you know, Dr. Pepper or something. I don't know, like, like the tab is still open, right? The tab is still open in this life. The bill hasn't been settled yet, but God will one day say, and it's done. And now's the time. Pay. Either the blood of the Lamb or your own life Eternal destruction away from me. Continue onward, he's saying. Hey Thessalonians, continue onward. Judgment Day ain't here yet. Tab's still open. It's, it, it's not your crying justice and fairness, but it's really not yet here. So until then, just keep going. Just keep going. How does Christ come? I gave you the wind. When does this relief and retribution happen? But He also gives us uh, the when Christ comes. Well, how? How does Christ come? Look at verse 7. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. That's some of the how. How? Verse 8. In flaming fire and judgment and glory. That's symbolic, right, of all that. Inflicting, how does He come? He inflicts vengeance on those... And he mentions two things. They don't know God. Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? Not know about God. Do you know experientially? That's the Greek word, right? On those who do not know God. And then secondly, he says this, on those who don't obey the gospel. They haven't submitted to the good news about Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection. This is how He comes. He comes with glory. He comes in judgment. He comes with angels. And He comes to separate. Do you know God relationship do you, do you obey and trust the gospel if not right, there is this, this judgment this separation the two use what happens to unbelievers and then what happens to us what happens to unbelievers he says they are judged verse 8 and 9 they don't know they don't obey so verse 9 they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Would it be loving if we didn't tell people the truth of that? This is what the Bible teaches, right? This is what happens to unbelievers. Again, John Chrysostom writing early on, I mean, in the, in the late 300s. How could it, you say it's tainted, it's been tainted over time. This guy's writing in the 300s. Trust his words. He says this we aren't interested in finding hell's location but in escaping it. And just because God doesn't punish everyone here, don't doubt things to come. For to remember hell prevents our falling into hell. He's like, you better think about it. We better know these things. This is what happens to unbelievers, but what happens to us? Verse 10. When He comes on that day to be glorified, He'll be glorious, we'll admire His glory, But also, He'll glorify us. We'll share in that glory in His saints. And we'll marvel. The angels will marvel at us being redeemed. They'll marvel at Him. We'll marvel at at them. We'll marvel at Christ. Among all who have believed, Paul says, because our testimony to you was believed. Thank God that they did, that a church was set up there in Thessalonica. You think about it. Heaven and hell are a massive difference, aren't they? When Jesus talks about heaven and He talks about hell, and the Bible preaches about heaven and hell, they are massively different. Heaven and hell are a massive difference. Therefore, the gospel makes all the difference in eternity. The gospel makes all the difference in your life, in my life. So the big question is, are you spiritually prepared today? Are you spiritually prepared for this day to pass, to meet the Creator? Do you know God? Have a relationship with Him? Are you submitting to and trusting the gospel? You you can be today. Today's still the the day of salvation, the Bible says. For us, we are to anticipate something. Look at verse 10 and 12. He says, you're going to be glorified. You're going to marvel. Verse 12 says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we're to anticipate the glorious future. We continue onward. Just what's around the corner. Oh, glorious. Just continue onward. Anticipate that glorious future a little more. A little more. We, we keep going. We keep going. Don't grow weary. Just, just keep going. It's, it's not done yet. Still on the trail, right? When we, when we anticipate the glorious future, it aids our perseverance. It also gives stability to us in this life, right? A firm foundation. Why? Because we know this. The reward comes later. We aren't home yet. We aren't home yet. The reward is coming. It's just coming later, right? If I can remember the old story that Worsby told, he's told about a farmer. The farmer planted the crops and stuff. It was just kind of a year of struggling, and the old atheist guy said, Man, look, you know, God, God uh, it doesn't pay to follow God. Man, your crop, it it ain't, it doesn't pay to follow Him. And He says, God, God pays, but He doesn't always pay in September, right? Doesn't always pay when we think He should at the right. God will pay in His time, right? It's just, it'll come one day. You don't always pay at September in the harvest, or we're not home yet. Right? That reward's coming. God will will pay. It just just in His time. What a great book. I, I wanted to preach after 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And I, I just, I could not have peace about it. I, I, I wanted to, this, I just thought 2 Timothy would be so natural, but we've been in it. And I thought, I can't do it, Lord. And, I, and this is the book that the Lord laid on my heart, 2 Thessalonians. I know some Sunday school classes have been in it. But I, I said, man, Lord, I think this is what you really want, the, the second that we're supposed to look at. And it's, it's so great. This chapter. What I love most about this book is what I'm about to show you. It's how every chapter ends with a prayer. The prayer. So, last, we see Paul's praise. We see Paul's promise. He's talking about judgment. Like you hadn't missed it. This ain't it. It it will come, but continue onward, settle down. (laughs) Uh, And you'll see more of that in chapter three. But the the third is Paul's prayer. His prayer is in verse 11 and 12. He says, To this end, because of all this and this is our goal, right, that, that we'll all be glorified and believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling. He already said, you know, you, you're worthy of the kingdom of God. It's proof because you're suffering this. and It's, it's showing that God's calling is, is genuine on your life. And I just want to continue to pray that, that God would make you worthy of that calling, number one. And number two, He would fulfill every resolve for good. Everything that you plan out, you make this decision to do something good in Jesus' name, man, I hope that He'll fulfill that. Your every resolve for good, your every decision to do something in His name, and every work of faith by His power, that God would give you power for that, that work of faith, the the plans that 1st Baptist Thessalonica was planning, right? Oh, fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Verse 12, the so that clause. So that... Your name would go, no. The name of the preacher, no. So that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace. He doesn't say according to the judgment of God, although he's preached about judgment because he has to. It's true, it's biblical. But he talks about in the grace of our God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's Paul's prayer. It's, it's basically a prayer for power, if we had to summarize it. Paul's prayer for power. And I want us to close every service these next weeks with prayer. And I want us to pray the prayers that are in the Bible. So here's what we're going to do as we put them on the screen. We're going to pray three prayers. Number one, we're going to pray to live a life worthy of the name. Worthy, Lord, I want to live a worthy life. Paul talks about this in Colossians. What does it mean to live a worthy life? You're bearing fruit, right? You're, You're doing the things that are worthy of that name, Christian. Pray to live a life, Lord, I want to live a life worthy of the name of Jesus. Secondly, pray for blessings for every work done in His name. Those blessings for every work, power for every deed that's done. Lord, I want want that work to be blessed at the school, blessed, Lord, in the community, blessed at that ministry. And last but not least, pray for the glory of Jesus' name as He does, that Christ would be glorified
0: thank you for tuning in to this episode of making christ known we invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from adairsville baptist church for more information visit us on facebook or online at adairsville thanks for listening and we look forward to connecting with you again soon